As we get closer and closer to the Federal Reserve pivot, whether they want to or not, whether they voluntarily do it or not, doesn't matter. What does matter is that some seem to believe that this is a good thing. If you think that the Federal Reserve's rate hikes over the last year or so have been responsible for the growing amount of economic uncertainty at best, as well as what we see in certain asset markets like crypto or stocks, then the end of rate hikes and maybe even the beginning of rate cuts sounds like a terrific idea. The idea of bad news is again good news. As the economy softens, the bad news of economic weakness is replaced by the good news of, oh, the Fed will stop hiking rates and then respond to this economic weakness with all the kinds of policies that purportedly those in risk assets love to see. Lower interest rates among maybe possibly QEs too. And in early November, Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell at his press conference then announcing another rate hike kind of validated this, uh, this idea with his own confirmation of sorts about how the Fed thinks about the kind of situation that we're, we're right again wrestling with right now. What he said was in response to a question from a reporter who asked him, hey, the economy's not looking so great here in the latter parts of 2022. Aren't you a little bit concerned that maybe you've overdone it? And Powell's response to that question was, Again, if we over-tighten, and we don't want to, we want to get this exactly right. Yeah, right, whatever. But if we do over-tighten, then we have the ability with our tools, which are powerful, to, as we showed at the beginning of the pandemic episode, we can support economic activity strongly if that happens, if that's necessary. So right there is the idea. If the economy gets into trouble like it did in 2020, the Fed will come rising to our rescue. Now, before that, he said, hey, we're going to have to look at things differently because what he said before was about inflation. We're going to be aggressive and risk the idea of a recession over tightening because we believe, as he said, on the other hand, if you make the mistake in the other direction and you let this drag on, this inflation, consumer prices, then it's a year or two down the road and you're realizing inflation behaving by a way it can you're realizing you didn't actually get it. You have to go back in. By then, the risk really is that it's become entrenched in people's thinking. So we have a lot of stuff here to go over, a lot of really important things. And Powell, in just these two statements, makes three critical errors, three very big critical errors that a lot of people believe too, because they're led to believe the Fed is, is on top of all these things. What are those three errors? What does it all mean? We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, I'm Jeff. This is your Rodale University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you want to get into the real details, the real history, all the intricacies and, and uh, the complexities of the monetary system, all the things we're going to go over today, we've got exclusive video content for Eurodollar University members at our website, eurodollar.university. And if you want all these things in the context of current developments, how it's having the implications and consequences of monetary conditions on the global economy, the local economy, markets, all that stuff, we've got a couple of research products for you, a daily briefing that's uh, bundled with other stuff at Markets Insider Pro, as well as my deep dive analysis at Eurodollar University, where we go deep into these types of questions these types of myths and legends, unpacking all this stuff so that you can better understand what's really going on, 
not what these fools are talking about at their press conferences. All, again, all that information, eurodollar.university. So I said, as I said before, Jay Powell made three critical errors in these just these two statements he said back in November, early November. The three errors are, number one, it's not, there's, there's really no such thing as over-tightening here. The Fed's raising rates does not always lead to tightening. In fact, it rarely leads to tightening. Interest rates don't behave the way most people talk about. And in the specific case of 2022, as I've been saying in recent videos, I just did a video yesterday with my friend Stephen Van Meter, where we went over the inflation and the economic data, which all suggests that the economy turned in June, after June of last year. So mid-year, before the rate hikes, there was no over-tightening. The economic pivot took place long before the Fed really got aggressive. So we've, we, that's the first mistake, and we've already gone through that stuff. Well, I'm gonna, I want to focus here on the other two. The second one, this idea that inflation is all about expectations and the labor market. That when workers get, the idea of consumer price increases get entrenched in workers' thinking, that's what the Fed needs to be more concerned about rather than actual legitimate inflation, which as we know is always and everywhere from monetary phenomena. So what the Fed gets wrong there is expectations. There's no evidence that expectations actually does anything, but they have no choice but to believe that because as you see, the Federal Reserve is not actually a central bank. And so it's kind of left to the psychology only by default. And the third thing, of course, is what he said at the top, which is if things do go south, regardless of the reason, even if you believe it's a Fed policy error, whether it's over-tightening or whether it's just recession for the sake of recession and a nasty one, as it may be shaping up to be, the Fed can save us with its various tools. As Powell said, what did he call them? We can support economic activity, of course. We have the ability with our tools, which are powerful, as we showed at the beginning of the pandemic episode. No, that's another one too. We need to get into that. So where do we really begin with this? Well, we begin with the idea that the 19, for going all the way back to the 1970s and the great inflation, hardly anyone really knows what happened. There. Here's, a for, here's a quote from Forbes written about uh, Jay Powell's statement in November. Uh, the Forbes author said, yes, that's what happened in the 1970s and early 1980s. As expectations of high inflation became entrenched and workers demanded higher raises to cover future inflation. That was true. But that's not where the inflation came from, nor, while, nor why was that why legitimate inflation had been sustained over approximately a 15 to 17 year period. Remember, this long predates the oil, oil shocks. The Great Inflation got started somewhere around the end of 1965 into 1966, which was eight years before we got to OPEC and oil embargo. It wasn't really, it was before we have the inflation and then workers respond to it, it but the workers' response to it is a response. It is not the inflation. So putting the cart before the horse as the Federal Reserve does because it has to. And the reason it has to is because the Federal Reserve does not do money. And you don't have to take my word for it. I'm gonna give you here a series of quotes from economists and mostly policymakers from the horse's mouth itself, if there's an itself kind of a thing here. Now, let's start out with Milton Friedman. This is one I, I, I use a lot in the Eurodollar University member videos where we do go over this stuff. Where does money actually come from? It does not come from the Fed. In fact, the Federal Reserve wouldn't even know where to begin. What does do money? 
banks offshore. Euro dollar. Here's Milton Friedman in 1969. The euro dollar market has almost surely raised the world's nominal money supply expressed in dollar equivalents and has thus made the world price level expressed in dollar equivalents higher than it otherwise would be. And this is 1969. We're just in the early years of the great inflation. We have monetary expansion, which is legitimate inflation outside the United States taking place in a way and in an amount that nobody at the time could truly comprehend. Even Mr. Friedman had trouble figure, had trouble realizing the dramatic and radical shifts that were taking place in the monetary system outside the U.S., even though it was expressed in U.S. dollars. So you can imagine the trouble that maybe Federal Reserve officials were having when they're focused solely on the U.S. domestic system, not outside the United States, and struggling to comprehend all this dollar business taking place outside the U.S. 19, let's move up to 1974. This is the FOMC in December of 1974. Mr. Mitchell, who was the vice chairman of the Fed at the time, said he could think of no time when the monetary aggregates were less useful for policy purposes than they are now. This is 50 years ago. Another certainty in the interpretation of the monetary statistics arose in connection with euro dollars. He suspected that at least some part of the eurodollar-based money supply should be included in the U.S. money supply, and he thought generally M1 was obsolete, needed to move into M2, and really a version of M3. Um, they never did get to M2 and M3, at least in any comprehensive format, which is why they got rid of it in 2006, because they got tired of keeping up the charade. But more than that, what Mr. Mitchell was saying in December of 1974, even the idiots at the Fed had figured out that this external Eurodollar money supply was having a dramatic and detectable, statistically significant impact on the domestic U.S. money supply. This was the great inflation, remember. Let's move ahead, July 1981. Again, the Volcker myth, the idea that Volcker used his monetary knowledge to defeat the great inflation. They had no clue about money. Mr. Morris, well, Mr. Chairman, all this conversation or much of it suggests to me that we ought to face up to the fact that we do not know how to measure transaction balances in our, in our present society. We have overnight repos, for example, that are used by a good many corporations as transaction balances, and repos are not an M1B or M1 at all. I really don't think we will ever, from now on, be able to have a concept of transaction balance in which we can have the same confidence we used to have in the old M1. Prophetic words from Mr. Morris 40 years ago. What he said then applies today. Let's go to Mr. Alan Greenspan back in uh, 19, uh, 1997 at Stanford. What he said, what Greenspan is admitting here is that, number one, the Fed doesn't do money. It's been forced into this interest rate targeting stuff, which isn't really about the interest rate so much as it is about using the interest rate to signal to businesses and consumers this idea that the Fed wants to tighten or loosen, regardless of whether it's tightening or loosening or not. Here's what Greenspan said in 97. Increasingly since 82, we have been setting the funds rate directly in response to a wide variety of forecasts and factors, like the unemployment rate. We recognize that in fixing the short-term rate, we lose much of the information on the balance of money supply and demand that changing money market rates afford. But for the moment, we see no alternative. In the current state of our knowledge, money, money demand has become too predictable to predict, too difficult to predict. And the reason money demand was too difficult to predict is because the economy, as Mitchell said earlier, corporations were using repos as transaction balances. 
the real economy was using different forms of money offered by this euro dollar system that authorities just could not keep track of. And by 97, what Greenspan was saying is that we admitted 15 years earlier we couldn't bother. So we just move an interest rate around and hope that that has some kind of effect. And if we tell people it has an effect, maybe they'll actually come to believe it. Like when we say inter higher interest rates are tightening, maybe they'll believe it even though all the evidence historically shows that it's not really the case. And here's the money quote, pardon the, pardon the expression here, but it really goes into the situation. The, Alan Greenspan of June of 2000, I use this one a lot because it, it basically sums up the entire situation for the Federal Reserve and why it is not a central bank. The problem is that we cannot extract from a statistical database what is true money conceptually, either in transactions mode or store value mode. So it got worse. Remember 81, Mr. Mitchell said, we can't have a transaction mode uh, metric for money. And here's Greenspan saying we can't do the store value either. One of the reasons, obviously, is that the proliferation of products has been so extraordinary that the true underlying mix of money in our money and near money data is continuously changing. As a consequence, while of necessity it must be the case at the end of the day that inflation has to be a monetary phenomenon, a decision to base policy measures like raising or lower interest rates on measures of money presupposes that we can locate money. And that has been increasingly dubious proposition. In other words, the proliferation of products was this offshore monetary revolution going back into the 1960s that confounded the Fed as a central bank. As a result, it had to come up with all these other ways to stay at least relevant in the public mind. Raising and lowering an interest rate and calling one or the other doesn't matter what they call it. They could say lowering interest rates is tightening and it wouldn't matter. But as long as they believe, as long as people believe, then that will have some kind of effect. But will it? 